Good morning, it's good to see you today. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're nearing the end of our exposition in this wonderful letter, and today we'll be considering the topic of prayer and uh, the importance of prayer. As we begin, I'd like to ask you a question, and maybe if you meet with people for accountability and discipleship and, and so forth, or meet with a brother over coffee, this might be a question that you hear. How's your prayer life? How's your devotional life? How are you doing in those things? I think many of us maintain some prayer, but perhaps not to the intensity that we would like, or to the intensity that Scripture demands. It often takes some type of a crisis, like a family member being diagnosed with cancer, the loss of a loved one, uh, losing a job, one's house burning down, some crisis that really awakens us, and then we become prayer warriors, don't we? It often takes a crisis for something like that to move us to earnest prayer. One man said, prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. Think about that. It's your declaration of independence from God. Now, of course, tomorrow we're celebrating our Independence Day as a nation here, 4th of July, uh, independence from the tyranny of Britain and so forth. Well, my sermon is not about that. My sermon is about our utter dependence upon God because Paul declares, it, he, what he gives us is a declaration of dependence. We are utterly dependent upon God, not only for our prayer life, but for all things. There are many great examples of godly men through church history that have been exemplary in their prayer life. When you look throughout the Old Testament, you see the Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, all three of those are great examples of prayer. Beautiful scriptural examples. You look at the Lord Jesus Christ and how He arose early while it was still dark to go and pray. You look at the Apostle Paul and all the instruction that he gives on prayer. And then throughout church history of Martin Luther that, that often made it his practice to spend three hours a day in prayer. Joseph Eileen, one of the Puritans, arose at 4 a.m. every day of his Christian life because he wanted to have hours of prayer before he engaged in the ministry that the Lord had given him. George Mueller, I believe it was Mueller who would arose at, at 2 o'clock in the morning to pray to 4 in the morning and then to go back to bed because maybe he, he would sleep in some, but at least he did not neglect prayer. So there's many examples, and Scripture doesn't say, thou shalt pray at this time and for this long but we have good examples around us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, everything we do in the Christian life, get this, is easier than prayer. He goes on to say, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. It is more important than knowledge and understanding. You see, prayer is the pulse of the Christian's life. And Pilgrim's Progress, that wonderful allegory, we've referenced it a couple times as we've been going through the spiritual warfare section. After his fight with Apollyon, he's wearing the armor, he uses the sword and gives a, a death blow, as it were, to Apollyon, and he flees. Right after that, where does he go? Into the valley of the shadow of death. And as he's progressing, and as he's moving ultimately towards the celestial city, but now in a valley, all of a sudden the road becomes narrower and narrower. There's quagmire on the one side. There's ditch on the other. It's dark, and he's walking by faith each step of the way. 
suddenly he comes across something that says it was the very mouth of hell, where he heard hideous noises. And it says this, the flames and the smoke would belch forth in abundance with sparks and hideous noises. And these fearful eruptions seemed quite unmoved concerning Christian's sword. That is, they weren't backing off from his sword. As had been the case with Apollyon before. So the trembling pilgrim found it necessary to resort to another weapon called all prayer. Obviously taken from our text with all prayer begins in verse 18. Now I'm not suggesting to you that I think prayer is a separate piece of armor. But I am suggesting to you, and I think Paul is, that prayer is all important in putting on the armor of God and in fighting in battle. So let's read the text. We're going to read verses 10 to 18 to get the broader context. Actually, verse 12 to 18. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand or resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition, for all the saints, <clears throat> reading on verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And so as the text begins that we're looking at today with all prayer, let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Our Father and our God, we do come before you having read this rich text before us having examined it the last several weeks, Lord, we pray that You would indeed speak clearly this day through Your servant, through Your weak servant, that You would be pleased to empower and to make clear the exposition of the Word. And Lord, we pray that You would remove cares and distractions, perhaps noises from planes or anything else that would care to distract, O oh God, that we may focus on Your Word, that we may learn a prayer, that we may learn how to persevere in prayer as Christian soldiers in this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've read, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We've looked at that several times. It's against the world forces of darkness. It's the whole spiritual realm that is out there um, is against Christians. The devil hates you. He hates your family. He hates your profession of faith. He hates your church. He hates everything about you. And so, and you think about how this armor, um, the order in which it was, and you think about a first century Roman soldier. There's a battle raging. It's early in the morning. He's putting on his armor, about to go into battle. Perhaps his heart is pounding. Maybe he's only been in a few battles. He's got the armor. He begins to put it on. His heart's pounding. He puts on the belt of truth, the belt around himself. He girds his loins, tucks in his tunic, 
Perhaps still shaking, he grabs for the metal breastplate and begins to strap that on so that his vital organs are protected in the midst of the battle. But then he can't go out barefoot, so then he puts on those sandals, those boots that were like sandals that had straps that went up to the shins here and began to lace those up. And they were studded sandals so that he could have traction in the midst of battle. And then he would go on to grab the shield of faith, which is like a door, a mini door, four feet by two and a half feet. Then the helmet being handed to him, put on his head to protect his head. The helmet of salvation, Paul says. We looked at that last week. Something to protect the head, obviously, but also to guard the mind and the thinking of the Christian. And so the helmet is indispensable. But then to take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. It's, it's useful in defense, but it's also useful in offense. And we're to take the Word. The writer of the Hebrews says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, the sword is indispensable. And the sword and the Spirit are united together, and we'll see that connection even in our text today. So as we come now to this section, it's the third paragraph from verses 10 to verse 20. It's the third paragraph here on spiritual warfare, the emphasis here is our constant need to be on the alert. It's not enough to put on the armor and then to just show up to battle and then daydream. You need to be on the alert. And you need to bathe yourself in all prayer. Ephesians, perhaps like no other book, communicates the height and depth and and breadth of all of our riches in Christ. And in light of all of these immeasurable privileges that we have, The reality is, in our day, we can become conceited, we can become half-hearted, we can lose the sense of our desperate dependence upon God in all things. And so, brethren, I think we would do well to be reminded of these, these things and to be reminded of the vital importance to persevere in prayer. So I've broken up the text really just in two simple points. And the first is giving some general thoughts about the importance of prayer in the Christian life. And then finally, the practical instructions and characteristics that the Apostle Paul lays forth for us under the second head. So first of all, prayer is fundamental to putting on each piece of armor. You see, Ephesians begins with telling us all of our riches in Christ, we've been predestined, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed. In fact, we were seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. That's how the book begins. But now the book ends with us on our knees and desperate dependence upon God. This is the Apostle Paul's eschatological view of the Christian life. You have the already. What's really already happened and is sure to take place. But you have the not yet. It's not yet. We're still in desperate need of His help in the Christian life. We need to remember our dependence upon God in light of all of our wealth that we have in Christ but our dependence upon God for today, yea, even this very moment. Prayer is foundational. It is key to putting on the weapons. Picture the Roman soldier that maybe perhaps was a Christian. Of course, Paul's Christianizing it in our text here. But but picture that, that praying with each piece that the belt buckle would not break because the truth of God will never break, right? As he tucks it in the breastplate that it would withstand Blows from axe and and sword thrust and so forth. Praying over each piece of armor. In fact, even in the midst of the battle, we should be in prayer.
prayer. John MacArthur says, Prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. It's the very air that we breathe with each breath of air, with each exhale, a prayer unto God. That's, I think, what he's getting at there. The Apostle obviously has emphasized the need uh, for, for them to know, the Ephesians to know something of the power of God. He repeats that several times, especially in the prayers in chapter 1 and chapter 3. So in the text here, in verse 18, looking only at that, now if you have a New American Standard Version, you'll see when it says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times, it's translated almost as though it's an imperative, another command. We've seen two imperatives in this text. Um, It's not an imperative, it's a participle. There's two participles that are here that we need to focus on because they modify something that's that's taken place before. And that is praying... Okay, so the text could literally be translated, praying through all prayer and petition. But also, the other one is being alert in our text. Be on the alert. That's a participle. Now, those two participles modify, in verse 14, look in your Bibles, the very beginning before giving of the six pieces of armor, what's the first words? Stand firm. Everything that takes place after that modifies how we stand firm. Does that make sense? Each piece of the armor, having girded our loins, that's how we stand firm. All these participles that modified. In verse 17, there is an imperative, take the helmet of salvation and the sword, but we know that these participles don't modify that. That would, that would, only, that would make only those last two pieces the, the pieces that you need to pray over. And so certainly that's not what Paul means. And so he uses these words, and there's a repetition of words as well. And as you know, in the Bible, when we see repetition of words and so forth, what is it there for? Emphasis. <laughs> we, don't want to admit, we don't want to pass. We don't want to miss it. Okay, So we need to recognize that. He uses words such as prayer and praying, uh, the participle, of course. But that's meaning, that means general request unto deity, request unto God. But then he uses the word petition. He uses it twice in our text as well, which focuses more on a specific request which we'll see Paul do next week in verse 19, but more specific requests. And so he unites all of this together, and they can be taken as synonymous, but I think there's an emphasis of a stacking of words. And so we should take note of the repetition here, that it's there to emphasize the vital importance for the Christian to pray in the midst of battle. Not that we put confidence in the armor itself. Our confidence is where? It's in God. That's where our confidence has to be. William Cooper, a great hymn writer that struggled with assurance, said, Restraining prayer will cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So, having established the importance of prayer, <clears throat> secondly, engaging in spiritual battle without prayer obviously, is dangerous. As you think about the importance of each one of these six pieces of armor that we've discussed over the last several weeks, we cannot forget the vital importance of prayer. Listen to John Piper. He says, Prayer is the communication by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. Prayer is for war. See, prayer is... is, is prayer 
is the communication by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. See, it's easy for us in this day and age. We live in a a free country, right? We have religious freedoms. We have many other freedoms in this country compared to other countries. We have this free society. We, We feel extra secure. And the reality is, is we can presume upon God's grace instead of depending on it daily. Do you presume upon God's grace? Maybe you can relate. The more things are going favorable, the more physical blessings we have, the bank account's getting bigger, the 401k is getting bigger, we've got the new car, we've got all of these things, the wind's at our back, everything's going great. The reality is we can become complacent. We can forget the importance of the battle around us. And what happens? We often have this mindset where we have less and less of a desire for spiritual things. So prayer is vitally important. In fact, Satan loves it. If if Satan could write out a check to you, he would to just get you to have all of this material prosperity so that you might forget the earnestness and the need to pray. Listen to Samuel Chadwick. He says, one concern of the devil is to keep saints from praying. Any interruption, anything that could come, that's, that's his goal. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. And so, so too, anything we do, we're going out door-to-door evangelism, going to the rescue mission, if we're going to witness to a neighbor, a family member, a hospital visit, whatever, we pray that the Lord might bless that. If we go in our own strength, presuming that God's going to bless, woe to us! <clears throat> Thomas Chalmers, a great Scottish preacher from the 19th century, said, prayer does not enable us to do greater work for God. Prayer is greater work for God. And I think some of us need to have that mindset that that's the most important thing we can do. And We have several ministries at this church. Several, and Many of you serve in various ministries, but some of you are just unable to serve, whether it's lack of transportation, lack of availability, whatever. There's one thing you can do. You can pray. And you ought to pray, as all of us should. So having just looked at these preliminary thoughts, let's jump into the text. Paul gives us some practical instruction here, the various characteristics that should concern prayer. You'll notice in the text, and if you have an NIV, I'm sorry, it's not there, but uh, there's four alls. I'm going to read it again. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, beyond the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. And there's really five specific emphases he gives here, and we're going to look at these one by one. First, seek to pray varied prayers and varied circumstances. Isn't that obvious from how he begins it? What does he say? With all prayer and petition. All types of prayer, various prayers, whether it's public, whether it's private. We just had a, a wonderful public prayer together, a pastoral prayer, which Ray led us in. I hope you were praying with him. I hope you prayed this morning in your own private worship before God. 
varied prayer at various levels of intensity. Sometimes it's more relaxed and mellow. Sometimes it's vitally intense. Sometimes it could be loud cries like the psalmist says, but I, O Lord, have cried out to You for help and in the morning my prayer comes before You. But other times it's soft whispers. But the Lord hears us. Whether your eyes are wide open, whether your eyes are clenched closed, it doesn't matter. Whether it's organized times of prayer, if you pray at a certain time per day and you pray at meals and bedtime or whatever, or spontaneous prayers through the day, that's good. Various prayers. Now this one thing this text does not teach is that we bring our laundry list full of requests before God. And that that's all we do. This text is not teaching that at all. Instead of our Father who art in heaven, it's our genie who art in heaven. I would like this, 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 this. By the way, while you're at it like this, you're omnipotent and all, can you do this, 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 this to fix my wife, fix my children? No. No, 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 no. Prayers to be prayed, filled with praise and adoration, thanksgiving. There's various positions of prayer. Did you know the Bible does not command a specific position for prayer? And we say, oh, I pray on my knees. That's really spiritual, right? Yeah, that's good. For me, it helps, okay? But it's, nowhere does it say, thou shalt pray on your knees. We have prayers standing, prayers sitting, prayers lying down, prayers on, on the knees. It, it doesn't matter. We see Solomon. Solomon kneeling as the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8. Kneeling on his knees with his hands spread towards heaven. Do you know the early church prayed like this? Try that sometime. You know why? You're not going to fall asleep because your arms begin to get tired about 10 minutes into it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to rest this one. <laughs> uh, try that. But the early church prayed like that. 1 Timothy 2.8 Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, Paul says in 1 Timothy. So the Bible mentions all these various positions of prayer. We should also pray large prayers. We shouldn't limit it and say, well... I'm just an average Christian. I'm just going to pray for this. No, we should realize we're coming to an all-powerful God and to bring large requests unto Him that the Lord might save those unsaved family members, that the Lord might grant that, that promotion at work so that you would be able to provide for your family and not work two jobs, but only work one job and have more time for family. Beautiful hymn, we're going to sing it after the service. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with ye bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Isn't that a beautiful hymn? Various prayers. Uh, for me, it's helpful to have, there's been various acronyms, but ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Saving Supplication and Petition to the End. That can be helpful because that way you're not going to skirt over those three. And so that's why the laundry, grocery list, whatever you want to call it, you know, your petition list, put that aside until you've worshipped God and you've been reminded of who He is. And so begin with adoration. That's how Paul began this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly. He's chosen us. He's predestined us. He's redeemed us. He's sealed us by the Spirit. That's how Paul began. That's an example of how we should begin. Or the Lord's Prayer is such a great model, beginning with our Father who art in heaven. 
It communicates something of the nearness of God and that He's our Father, that we're His child, but also that He's in heaven, He's altogether transcendent. Proclaiming all of His attributes as you pray, adoring Him, thanking Him for His holiness, for His righteousness, for His justice. Thanking Him for all of those things. Thanking Him also for His mercy and for His grace and for His long-suffering. Thanking Him for the fact that He does not change even as we change hour to hour that we serve a God who does not change. In confession, remembering that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but as it says in Ephesians 2, even when we were dead, He made us alive. But God, being rich in mercy, remembering our sins, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, remembering the mercy of God, remembering the glories of the Gospel that our sins are washed away if our trust is in Christ. Looking to Psalm 51, other places where you have great examples of prayers of confession. But also thanksgiving. Paul emphasized that twice in this letter. Chapter 1 and verse 16, we do not cease giving thanks. And then also, chapter 5 and verse 20, where it says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving is so important. First and foremost, for what? Your salvation. <laughs> that you're redeemed. That you even know to pray. That you know God. That He's, he's, open, that he's revealed Himself to you. And thank the Lord for your family. Thank the Lord that you have an ability to provide. Thank the Lord for a church for which, which you can come and hear and, and, and be fed and to have accountability and to have fellowship with the brethren. You know, there's many in parts of the world that would long to have what you have in this church, but they do not have it. Thankful for the country that we live in, the freedoms that we enjoy. Have these freedoms made us to begin to become complacent because we take these things for granted? If we heard bombs instead of planes, if we heard planes going over but with bombs being dropped, how much more intense would the fervor of our worship and our devotion to Almighty God be? Our utter dependence upon Him. And then supplication and petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are good things to pray. And to pray for the various needs of yourself, your family, to send up these requests to Almighty God totally dependent upon Him. So I ask you, is your prayer life balanced? Maybe you're focusing just on one of those things. Is it balanced? Have varied prayers in various circumstances, Paul says to begin with. But then, notice in the text, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. So closely related to it, the Hebrews, of course, we know, had a prescribed times for prayer throughout the day. That's helpful, that's good, but it's as though the New Covenant brings a whole new dynamic to prayer. Jesus Himself says, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape these things which are about to take place. Being alert, praying at all times. Luke records of the early church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that they prayed continually and on also chapter 10 that they prayed continually. Chapter 10 and verse 2. 
We must pray continually. Why? Because our struggle against the enemy is persistent. Our struggle against the powers of darkness never ends. And so prayer is warfare. And we should pray urgently. Of course, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, giving thanks, praying without ceasing. So to pray at all times does not mean, well, I'm going to obey Scripture and I'm going to stay on my knees all day long. Is that what it means? I can't work, honey. I'm sorry, you're going to have to take care of the food, but I'm busy praying all day, obeying Scripture. No, that's not what it means, obviously, uh, that, that, we, that we're never to engage in other activities. Jesus Himself, we see He prayed much, but He also taught, right? He also fed the hungry, right? He healed the sick. So it does not mean, also, meaningless repetitions as we read in our Scripture reading. So what does it mean? It means that in all of life, everything that comes our way, we're keenly aware of the Lord's presence in our life. That we know that He is near. That we can pray at any time and that He hears. To live continually in His presence. Aware of His providence in this world that nothing happens by accident. John MacArthur says it's a continual God consciousness so that all life becomes kind of a prayer. See, our life should be continually an ascending prayer unto God as we go throughout our day, as we have opportunities to pray, we interact with somebody, we walk away, we pray for that person. We're about to go walk into a situation. We're praying that the Lord would be with us so that all of life is bathed in prayer. That's why Paul tells the Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Have your mind fixed on things above. Have your mind fixed on Christ. Remembering your Savior. See, what we need is more God dependence and less dependence on self. To pray consistently. So think about it. Is there ever a time that, that takes place in your life where prayer is out of place? Where it doesn't fit? Where, it, no, you know, you know, I would pray for all these other situations, but this, no, I'm not going to pray for. Of course not. It's never out of place. There's no circumstance in your life where it would be inappropriate to play. pray. Whether it's times of trial, times of blessing, we should pray. And furthermore, we should lead by example in our families. We should have structured times of prayer, yes and amen, but also when something happens and you're together as a family, an auto accident or something, or you, you just we're going to pray right now. You stop the family and we pray for somebody, if you've witnessed something, or whatever. But to also have these structured times of prayer. Times of family worship. Praying over meals. Praying in the bed, bedtime. Let your kids see you pray. As one came in as I was in the midst of prayer this morning. <laughs> um, but our, you know, your kids should see you praying and reading your Bible. That th- these things are important to you. Psalmist says in Psalm 55, evening and morning and noon, I will complain and murmur in the midst of his distress, and he will hear my voice. So we pray at all times. And one way is to make many quick, brief prayers, just a habitual response to every situation that comes your way in your life. It's just an automatic response. It's an autopilot type of response in every situation you meet with throughout the day. And that's the very thing Paul told the Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in some things by prayer and supplication. No, it doesn't say that. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
let your requests be made known unto God. So in every circumstance, letting your requests be made known to God. Thirdly, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, this is to pray in the name of Christ, praying according to His will, praying in concert with the Spirit. That is, the Spirit inspires and guides you um, in your prayers so that you have confident access to Him. Chapter 2 and verse 18 in Ephesians, it says, through Him, that is, through Christ, we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So we're coming in the Spirit as we approach the Father, according to chapter 2 and verse 18. Chapter 5 and verse 18, he said, be filled with the Spirit of God. And so to be filled is to be walking according to His will in this life and in His power. So, Christians should pray and, and to the Father as they're prompted by the Spirit. Now, one thing I do want to say that this text is not teaching, because some do say that it teaches us, is that this text does not command us to speak in tongues. It's not here. <laughs> it's just not here. Okay. And in fact, nowhere in Scripture are we told to speak in tongues. Paul addresses that, which I believe was an authenticating gift given to the early church, which is passed off the scene, he recognizes that in Corinth and addresses that, but nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray in tongues. This text is not teaching that. The context won't allow it. Uh, here it applies to engaging in prayer in relation to spiritual warfare. We don't have time. Well, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, you know this passage. Um, the apostle says, for in the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. And so, even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, interceding for us. What does the Spirit do? The Holy Spirit reminds us of the character of God of who He is, of, of, of all that He is. The Spirit also convicts us of sin and brings to mind um, sins that, that we maybe have overlooked and we hadn't thought was sin, something that's happened in the recent hours or recent days. The Spirit brings that to our awareness so that we can confess it. But the Spirit also reminds us of that spirit of adoption. Actually, Romans 8, verse 15 for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit reminds us of our standing before a holy God that we're forgiven by the righteousness and the blood of Christ and that all of our sins are covered. Praying in the Spirit energizes us. It lifts us from that discouraged state. But there's another connection I want you to see and I made reference earlier. Remember the last piece of armor? The sword... It's not just the sword, which is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And some of you already see this connection here, but it says pray at all times in the Spirit. I think there's a connection since he just mentioned the sword of the Spirit before. It's something of the idea of using the Word of God in our prayers. Do you pray Scripture? It's a good thing to pray Scripture. It is most fitting to fill our prayers with Scripture, to even have your Bible open to a psalm and in the midst of praise and adoration to find a psalm that speaks to that and actually just read that. 
It's very beneficial for the soul. The Lord is pleased to hear us recite His Word. By the way, there's many good helps. Scripture is the best help, but there's many good helps that, um, that I found beneficial through the years. Jerry Bridges has a short series of books that remarkably is out of print now. Um, but it's Encountering God in Your Private Worship. These little, little hardbacks that are like 30 short chapters, and then each one ends with about a two-page prayer, and it's all Scripture. It's just all Scripture, and it fits to what that chapter was about. Some of the titles are, I will exalt you, I will follow you, I will give you glory. Very, very rich, scripturally packed stuff. Matthew Henry, a method of prayer. It's available online for free, where he takes various topics, intercession, adoration, thanksgiving, and what he does is he's collected all the scriptures that speak to that and puts them all in one place for you so you can use that. So there's helps available out there. So we've seen so far to pray varied prayers, to pray in the Spirit, to, um, I skipped one, varied prayers, pray at all times and then in the Spirit, and now be alert in prayer with perseverance. The words Paul uses here, the alert is the word that Jesus uses often to be concerned about, to look after, to watch, okay, that word. But the perseverance, this, the word that Paul chooses to use here, only occurs here in the whole New Testament. It's not the idea of perseverance as we normally think of it, persevering under trial, where we're enduring the trial and, and holding up. That's not the thrust of this word at all. Okay? The thrust of this particular word means a firm persistence in an undertaking to a, a certain circumstance. Another way to translate it is a careful devotion. So, to, trans, to think of it like that, be on the alert with careful devotion. Okay, I think that's more the idea. So the implication here, to be on the alert, means that you need to be focused and realize what are the needs of your family? What are the needs in your church? What are the needs of, of those in the workplace around you? To be aware of what's around you, that you're watching, that your eyes are wide open so that you can see these things as they come, and then you can address situations and minister in various situations, to be alert to the needs of our nation and to pray for our nation, even as we did today, and yea, even around the world, what's going on in the world. To be alert, know what these things are. You see, Satan loves it when you're sleepy and lethargic in prayer. He loves it when you're sidetracked, when you're not paying attention, when your eyes are drooping, when you're falling asleep. He loves that. That's what he wants. Consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as closest friends when He asked, would you pray with Me hours before going to the cross? And what happened? They fell asleep. He's in agony praying off a stone's throw away. And they sleep and slumber. Have a set time of prayer. Prayer is not easy. I think it... it you know. I'm, I'm not trying to say thou shalt pray at 7 a.m. or 2 a.m. or anything else like that, but I'm encouraging you as Christians, have a set time of prayer. If you profess faith in Christ and profess to be a strong Christian and you don't pray, that's a contradiction. There's something wrong. You're going in self-sufficiency. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. We need to express our dependence upon God in all things. And I personally find 
the idea of having a set time of prayer most beneficial. Too many think, well, I hit the snooze button three times, I'm going to skip morning prayer, but don't worry, I'll pray tonight. Yeah, that makes sense. I get off at 6, I don't go to bed till 10, I'll pray tonight. You know what? Your evening's going to be filled up. <laughs> There's going to be other things, almost always, you know, not, not exclusively, but I'm, oftentimes that time gets filled up. Listen to John Piper in his wonderful book, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy, in his chapter on the practice of prayer. There's this little section, I reread the chapter last night, but a little section here on the importance of morning prayer I thought was fitting. Let me just share these with you. He gives five things. First, it signals to our conscience that this is of first importance to the day. That witness from our action to our conscience has a joyful effect on the Christian mind. Second, early morning prayer strikes the first blow at the battle of the day instead of waiting until we are besieged from all sides. Third, what we do daily and do early shapes the spirit of our minds and brings us into a disposition of humility and trust that will bear better fruit than anxiety and self-reliance. He goes on, fourth, that prayer before you read the Word of God, open my eyes and I may behold wonderful things from God. So as you pray and you read, to pray before you read is important. Number five, it is uncanny how Satan can use even good things to squeeze prayer from our schedule if we miss early morning prayer. He says he's seen it again and again in his own life. And I've seen it again and again in my own life. When you skip morning prayer and think, hey, I'll be able to pray later, Satan will squeeze, your schedule will fill up, unexpected meetings, phone calls, whatever, it will come up. You should pray in the evening too. But how important it is to set your mind right before you go out and before a lost and dying world. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, the Apostle tells the Colossians. I think Paul might have something else in view here as well. It's, it's been an undertone throughout several of the passages. It's something of an eschatological looking. Keeping alert, looking for, this is how Jesus used the word, looking for that day when he will come again, right? And so I think there may be something of looking towards Christ coming back again. And this is both good and edifying, and we should think about that. And we should pray for that. Pray that he comes back to rescue us in this world. Jesus gives various parables in Luke 18. Remember the persistent widow who kept came, coming to the judge, and finally the judge uh, gives her what uh, she wants. Also, the persistent neighbor that comes, knocks on the door in the middle of the night over and over, give me bread, and so forth. The neighbor ends up. But, but the whole point of that is to show the type of spirit that we are to have when we pray. Now, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer right away. Right? Sometimes we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And I think He does this to test us and to humble us. Delays in God answering prayer are the raindrops of His grace upon a soul being conformed to Christ's image. Well, the last thing He mentions very briefly is petition for all the saints. This is really biblical churchmanship 101. What do I mean by that? This is something you'll hear in the membership class if you attend our membership classes in August sometime, but, but we have a responsibility one to another to esteem the other as more important than ourselves. 
and to pray for one another and to hold one another up in prayer. To not pray selfishly. That's another thing, by the way. Rate your prayers this week of how much you're praying for yourself compared to others. Could be very revealing. The reality is, is that many of us can fall into pride. And when we're proud, we're so consumed with self that we don't think of others. Others become, others pale, you know, as far as in importance. And the reality is, is that our prayers become ineffective because we're too self-sufficient. We can't pry, pray in the right way as we ought. We'll see an example of Paul asking for specific prayer uh, to, for those to intercede on his behalf next week. With God, there's no partiality, so we should pray for all of the saints. And not only, obviously, within this local assembly who we're joined to, but also beyond that, to pray for brethren that we know are suffering. We pray for missionaries, which we do in our prayer meeting. We pray for the persecuted church. For example, just a few days ago, the news came down from that pastor in Iran who didn't like his children being taught the Quran in public schools as elementary-age children, and fought the government, and he was arrested for apostasy, in prison for two years. His appeal was denied. It's going to be the first execution in 20 years in Iran. This pastor, to pray for him, to pray for his family, to pray beyond these four walls, pray for the greater cause of Christ and other churches and missions. This doesn't mean that we can't pray for ourselves and our own family. We should do that. We should pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for your extended family, but don't forget the body of Christ. On a local level, as members here, we have a responsibility to pray for one another. Today in the bulletin, uh, we provided a prayer calendar with which we updated. It's not to be meant a legalistic guide, but our legalistic um, law, but just a guide to help to pray for the needs of the church and, and so forth. Be sure to pick one of those up and look at it if you haven't. Writer of the Hebrews says, take care, brethren, that they're not be any, in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Very briefly, two concluding applications. Are you a prayer warrior? Do you pray often? Or are you like me after a text like this? I feel utterly convicted as I've been this whole week. I don't pray with this fervency, with all of these alls, as I should. And you can pray for me in that, as I pray for you. We should strive to be more disciplined and diligent in our prayers. And I confess my own prayers, that even though I have a regular set time, distractions abound. And you really do have to go into a closet, as it were. But we can often become easily distracted. Jesus' counsel in our Scripture reading is wise to go into your inner room or into your closet as you would pray. This is vital to understand. Ultimately, God's favor upon us does not depend on how good our prayer life is. God's not up there looking at you and, well, Edwin, you missed three days this week. I'm not so sure about it. (laughs) Or whoever else. God is not doing that. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. His blood has covered all of your sins, all of your weaknesses, all of your failings. He doesn't look at our performance in our Christian life to measure our standing before God. 
That's the good news of the Gospel. Christ's righteousness has cleansed us for all time, once and for all. But I'll submit to you this, if you've really been transformed and you understand that truth and the magnitude of the Gospel, it will drive you to your knees in devotion and praise to God who's provided so much for you. I encourage you, pray through the armor of God. Praising God for His truth. Praising God for the righteousness of Christ. For the Gospel of peace. Just work through for faith. The shield of faith. Work through all of that. And then pray through and confess your sins for your lack of appropriating the armor of which He's provided you. And if you're here today and you're lost, you can't put on the armor of God. You do not have faith. In fact, you can't meaningless repetitions and prayers will get you nowhere. The best prayer that you can pray is the prayer of blind Bartimaeus in Luke 18. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Recognizing your sin, repenting of your sin, seeing Christ as a Savior and laying hold of Him by faith, that's the prayer for you if you're here today, my unconverted friend. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this rich passage before us in Ephesians Chapter 6, we thank You for the Apostle Paul and his penning this letter to the church. Lord, how I pray that You would help us in these things to apply what we have heard this day. For Your glory we pray. Amen.